get into the word then this morning and uh, uh, it's been a few weeks of course since we've shared in John's gospel but the last time we were there we started in John chapter 11 got about halfway through that chapter which uh, is a record of the last sign that Jesus did as recorded by John which was the raising of Lazarus from the dead and uh, you remember it started off that Lazarus was sick and the sisters of Lazarus sent to Jesus to come to him. They said, he whom you love is sick. And Jesus said this, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God. Now, I explained then that that doesn't mean that God will be glorified in the raising of Lazarus, as, as incredible as that was because he was dead for four days. His body had started to decompose. But what it meant is that that miracle would ultimately lead to the arrest of Jesus and his crucifixion, his death for us. And, and that's what he referred to as the Son of God being glorified. Now, I've thought a lot about this and, and, and I believe there is nothing that glorifies God more than his work in redemption. Even, even creation, as magnificent and incredible as that is, I, I don't know about you, but I often think about creation. I look at this beautiful world that God has created. I see the glory, the wonder, the beauty in everything that God has created. I think of the, the universe and the vastness and just how incredibly big it is and how we cannot, cannot really even comprehend the greatness of it. I think of creation in terms of the human body the way it's put together and I just feel like falling down and worshipping God every time. But, but even beyond that is the work of redemption. Now, you know, this sickness is not under death but for the glory of God. It's going to lead to my arrest, it's going to lead to the cross and you know throughout all eternity we're going to be praising God and praising the Lamb for the work of redemption unto him that loved us and washed us from our sin in his own precious blood. We're going to be praising God for his grace all through eternity. And so that's where we left last time. And, and Jesus was having this conversation with Martha, but now she leads and goes and tells Mary that Jesus is there. So we read it, verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus has not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Okay, so that's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, Martha comes and probably whispers to, to Mary, Jesus is here, he's calling for you. She gets up and goes out. They just presume she's going to the tomb. And so because they're mourning with her and grieving with her, they go with her. And it was the will of God that they went with her because they would witness this incredible miracle that you know, God could confirm it in, in no greater way than what he was about to do, that Jesus is the Son of God, by Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so they went and, and uh, they would witness this. Okay, let's move on. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. I'm sure they said that many times together. We'll look at that in a moment. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, notice three things. Number one, he groaned in the spirit. Secondly, he was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Thirdly, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So she said the same words to Jesus as Martha did. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And you know, sometimes we can think that God is not with us. And if he was with us, things would not have happened. Things would have been different. But the fact is, he's always with us, whether we feel him or not, whether things go the way we think they should go or not. He's always with us and he's always in control. That's something we mustn't lose sight of. Now, it says that she was weeping. She was weeping. There are, there are two words in the Greek for weeping. One is a silent kind of weeping, just tears flowing, but, but silently weeping. It's not that word that's used here. The word that's used means to wail or to cry aloud. In fact, in that culture, the, the more you cried, and the more excessively you, 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 you wailed, and the more demonstrative it was, that showed how much you loved that person, how much you honored that person that had passed away. And, and so she was weeping here, and it's at this stage we see the incredible humanity of Jesus. Confronted by all this grief, and it wasn't only her that was crying, it was all the others around. First of all, he groaned in his spirit. Now that word means, you, look, you can look this word up, it means to snort as a horse, denoting displeasure or anger. Just imagine, you know, the fury of a horse when it's in some kind of rage. And so Jesus was confronted by, by sin and its consequences what it had done to the human race, what it had done to God's creation. And he was angry at sin. And, and, and he's kind of like, you know, that, that, that was expressed by this, this term, he groaned in his spirit. He was angry. And then secondly, he was troubled. It means actually he shook with, with pain and grief. So you see the humanity of Jesus here. And then thirdly, he wept, which means he burst into tears. Okay, Jesus didn't just kind of wipe away a tear here or there. He, he ended in with all those that were there and, and wept alongside them at, at the grief that they were going through. They lost their brother, the pain of Lazarus being taken from them by sickness that, 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 that led to his death. Now, this is important that we see Jesus this way because the Greek concept of God was what the Greek word is apatheia, which means that he has no ability to express emotion. They believed in a passionless God. The reason for that is that if we can move God with our circumstances, we can move him to sorrow, to tears, and so on, then he's out of control, so he's not really God. So that's the thinking, that's the theology behind uh, this Greek way of thinking. It's totally contrary to the truth about God. In fact, the Bible says he, he weeps with those who weep. He rejoices with those who, who rejoice. God is, is a God full of emotion. We've been created in his image. 
And there were three times that Jesus recorded that Jesus wept. One is here at the death of Lazarus. The second was when he went uh, up and overlooked Jerusalem at the end of his ministry that rejected him uh, as their saviour and he knew the trouble that they would be heading into. He knew the suffering that was ahead of them for rejecting God, cutting themselves off and, and you know, rejecting Messiah. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a, as a hen gathers its chick, but you would not. And he wept for his people. And the other time is when he faced the cross. In Hebrews we read this, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there's any other way, then let, let me take that other way. But nevertheless, not, 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 not my will, but yours be done. You know, the, the, the pain, the, the, the anxiety, the, the stress that came upon him was so great that it pushed the blood through the pores of his skin and they congealed in the cold night air and fell like droplets to the, to the ground. Oh, Jesus was full of compassion. Jesus was full of emotion. Jesus was full of, of, of uh, feeling. You know, the Bible says we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Amen. God, through his son Jesus, experienced every kind, every type of suffering and sorrow and, 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 and anguish that we go through so that he can identify with us, so that he can minister to us his grace and his love and compassion. You know, I was considering that, that verse in Luke's gospel. It said, um, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? The old King James Version says a farthing, which is the smallest possible coin you, you could have. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, yet not one of them would fall to the ground without your father knowing? How much more are you precious to your father? You know, Matthew says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? You think about it. One, two, two sparrows for one copper coin, but five sparrows you, for, for two copper coins. So if you, if you buy four, you get one free. <laughs> you know? It's like even this sparrow that didn't cost anything. If that fell to the ground in some remote forest somewhere, we're not aware of it, no one's aware of it, just this sparrow's, his time's up, you know? You think, what would they buy sparrows for anyway? What would they sell? Have you ever tasted barbecued sparrow? You'd be surprised, I tell you. No, I'm only joking, I'm only joking. I don't know why they buy them. I don't know what they do with them. But, but not one of them could fall to the ground without our Father in heaven knowing. How much more precious are you to him? And he's touched with the feelings of your infirmity. Sometimes we think that what we pray for in our business is too small for God, he's too busy or he's not interested, he's got so much to do. Don't think like that. The Bible encourages us to come and to bring our needs to him. Just as these sisters brought the need of Lazarus to Jesus, so we bring our needs to him as well.
Jesus shared in the grief of those who mourned. He would not raise Lazarus until he entered in spirit into the seriousness of the awfulness of death. He groaned in his spirit. He was troubled and he wept. He burst into tears. All that before he raised him from the dead. Let me just read to you this, this word from um, Matthew chapter 8. It says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now that doesn't mean, as some teach, that... Um, you know, by his stripes we are healed, that Jesus took our sicknesses on the cross. He hadn't been to the cross. He didn't need to, Jesus didn't need to die to heal us. He died because he, sorry, he healed because he had authority. Amen. But what it means here, it says, uh, he took, he took, it means to seize. He sees what we're going through, whether it's sickness or whatever it is. And, you know, the Bible says, cast your care upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you and, and he takes it. And then the other words, he bore it away. It means he lifts it off and carries it away. That's the meaning there. That's what Jesus does because he has authority. But the, the, the idea is that he feels the burden of sickness before he removes it. He, he, he enters into what we're going through. He identifies with us. He knows what we're going through and he takes it from us and removes it. And he does that because of his deity. So there's this humanity that feels and comes alongside us and says, I know exactly how you feel. I lived as a man for 30 years and, and, and I tasted you know, every kind of temptation and trial. I know what you're going through. But because he's divine, he was able to do something about their grief. Hallelujah. Let's move on. Then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? So Jesus again groaned. We've already looked at that, that he groaned. And, and, and he groaned with all creation at the suffering caused by sin. I don't know about you, but uh, every, every time I, I, I'm confronted with the suffering of this world, it gets me down, you know. I think, Lord, how long are we going to put up with this, you know? This is, we just heard today about this child trafficking thing. I mean, how awful. How awful for kids to be taken from a family and, and so on for whatever reason it is. It's just dreadful to think about it. To think about the people that have got cancer, people that are dying, people that are sick, people whose marriages are breaking up. You know, you can go on and on and on and on. And, and my response is I groan. Do you groan? The Bible says we, Jesus groaned. There is a groan, you know, it says here, for we know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. 
Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So if you're groaning, it's the Holy Spirit in you groaning. But you know, we, we don't just groan, we say something. And, and, and we see it there, he says, we're waiting eagerly for the, the redemption, the adoption of our bodies. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. So when we groan, we say, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come and, and reign on this earth, you know? Reign in righteousness and justice and love and mercy over this creation and remove the curse of sin, remove Satan. And that's going to happen, friends. And, and so, you know, we, we say, come Lord Jesus. We groan every time we see. It's not just a groan of despair. It's a groan which says we're eagerly waiting for the adoption. That is the redemption of our body. Come Lord Jesus and bring this whole thing to an end. Uh, so that you might reign, so that all the earth might be filled with the glory of the Lord. Amen. He wanted to do the miracle, but Martha objected to the stone being removed. She probably thought that Jesus was so taken up with grief that he wanted one last look at his dear friend Lazarus. He, she probably didn't understand what he was going to do. And then he said this, Did I not say to you, did I not say to you? He had already said that they would see the glory of God, but he brings her and us back to his word. That's where we've always got to come back to, friends, is the word of God. Did I know? What has he said? What has he said? That's why we need to read the word. That's not, friends, that's not being legalistic. It's like, hey, we need the word of God to survive in this, on this planet. With all the voices and media and social media screaming at us, you know, it's easy to get dragged down unless we come back to the Word of God. Then we see Jesus saying, did I not say to you? <laughs> you know, sometimes you, you, you can look at all the, all the talk now about the cost of living. And it's real. It's going up. It's skyrocketing. And it's hard. And you can, you can get despair. But then you come to the Word of God and he says, did I not say to you? that I will meet all your needs according to my riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Then you fix your faith on that. Amen? Amen. Or you, you can experience, you know, the fact that you're, you're, you're in the minority, you're a Christian, and it seems like everything now is militating against Christianity and against what we believe. And you've got to be careful what you say and what you believe in and what you call right and what you call wrong and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and you can get really brought down. But then you come back to the word of God. And he says, did I not say to you, in the world you will have tri tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Amen. So you fix your faith on that. You come back to what he says. Or you've got all those people that are saying, look, look at the world, it's falling apart. You know, you've got all this crazy laws coming in now and, uh, you know, talk of nuclear war and this uh, allegiance between North Korea and Russia and China. It's all... Ah. <laughs> and you come back to the word of God and Jesus says, did I not say to you, when you see all these things happening, look up for your redemption draws nigh. 
Come back to the Word of God. Friends, I'm going to ask you, do you spend time reading the Word every day? We spend time, let's be honest, we spend time watching the TV, the news, current affairs. We go on the internet, we watch social media. And friends, this is not to condemn. It's just saying you need to be reminded of what he said to us. Did I not say to you? Amen? Come back to the Word of God. Make time in your day, preferably at the beginning of the day, to, to read the Word of God and let God speak to you, remind you of what he's already said to you. I think, uh, uh, Lindsay, you said at the communion, you know, that we need to be reminded. We need to remember. Peter often said, you know, the, these things I write to you that I might remind you. We need to be reminded of what he's already said to us. Amen. Some people are looking for new words. Sometimes we don't need new words. We just need to be reminded of what he said to us. Amen. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now let's have a look at that. Jesus said he didn't need to pray. He didn't need to pray. He prayed to the Father, but he didn't need to pray. Why did he pray? Because he knew already what the Father was going to do. He prayed because they believed that God does not hear sinners. All along they said, God does not hear sinners. So he's going to say, I'm going to show you something here. <laughs> I'm going to pray to God, and you're going to see a dead man walk out of, the, out of the tomb. And you will know that I'm not a sinner, because God does not hear sinners. But he has sent me. Amen. But the other thing is this. He didn't need to pray because he had authority. Now, friends, we don't need to pray for the sick. Jesus didn't tell us to pray for the sick. He said, heal the sick. Amen? Heal the sick. Because he's given us authority. These signs will follow those who believe. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Sometimes we're asking God to do what he's told us to do. He's given us authority in his name to bring healing to the sick. And so Jesus knew, I don't need to pray. I have authority over sickness. So when Lazarus rose from the dead, all could see that he was not a sinner, but sent by the Father. He commanded Lazarus to come forth. Literally, it means something like this. Lazarus, this way out. I mean, his, his eyes were covered. And you can just imagine this man had come back to, the, to life, who was dead for four days. He was in a tomb. Where am I? Which way to go? Lazarus, this way out. Somebody has already, I'm sure you've heard this before. If he hadn't named Lazarus, the whole graveyard would have risen. <laughs> Lazarus, okay, just him. So we are, so we are, so we are. <laughs> Lazarus, come forth. Okay. Now, of course, this is a sign. It's the last sign that John records of the seven signs, and it's a picture of the day of resurrection, that great hope that we have, that glorious hope. And this is what we, we, we're told in the scripture. Most, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will what? 
hear his voice. Just as Lazarus heard his voice and came out of the grave, the day will come when the dead will hear his voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Then in Thessalonians we read, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with what? A shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. A beautiful picture what happened here, the last sign of the resurrection. And Jesus said, Loose him, because he was all wrapped up in, in his grave clothes, and let him go. Why did he say those two things? Well, you can just imagine. This man had been risen from the dead. Straight away, everyone would have been onto him. There would have been like the, the Jewish paparazzi. <laughs> and, and everyone would, well, what was it like? Were you conscious? Did you, did, you, did you see Elijah? Did you see Moses? Did you see your mother? Did you, you know, everybody would be, Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Let him go home. Leave him alone. Just let him go. Amen? And, and when Christ returns, we shall be raised, loosed from mortality, no longer able to get sick or tired or to die, but with a body like unto his glorious body, and go to be with him in heaven. We're not going to hang around talking with people. Amen? We'll be raised and gone with him. Amen. Praise God. So let's just quickly summarize the seven signs. The first one was Jesus turned the water into wine. They had nothing. They'd run out of wine. He told them to fill the water pots with water and he turned the water into wine. That's a beautiful picture of our salvation. We present our humanity to Christ and, and we, we, we become a new creation. Amen. It's by grace. We cannot change ourselves. We, we become a new creation by the work of grace. And it, it, all the glory goes to him. The next miracle was the healing of the nobleman's son. I don't know if you can remember, but we, we said that there that, uh, that that nobleman came a long way and asked Jesus to go with him. But Jesus said, no need. Go. Your, your son is healed. And he believed it. He believed the word of God. He didn't even rush home. Didn't have a plan B. He, he just took his time, went home, and, and, and everything was as Jesus said. And so uh, we received the grace of God by faith. Amen. That's the second thing. And then there was the healing of the, the layman at Bethesda. Jesus said to him, rise up and walk. So salvation isn't just forgiveness of sins but it's the ability to walk worthy, to walk in the light now, to walk in this new life that God has given us. He doesn't just save us from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. Rise up and walk. The next miracle was Jesus is the bread of heaven. Don't follow me for the bread which perishes, you know, for the material things, the temporal things that you can get, although Jesus does bless us. But... We need him. We need to feed upon him. We need a personal relationship with him. We need to feed upon him because he is our life now. 
The next miracle was Jesus walking on the water in the storm when it seemed like they were going to go under, but that which appeared to be over their heads was under his feet. He could walk on the water. In other words, we have authority in this life. We're not governed by circumstances. We're not, we're not uh, overwhelmed. We have victory because Jesus lives inside of us. Amen. Then there was the healing of the man that was born blind. And we saw with him that uh, when our eyes are open, there is an increasing revelation of Jesus. First of all, he spoke of, of Jesus as the man. The man. Then he called him the prophet, the one who had the word of God. Then he said he's from God. Then he said he's the son of God, the deity of Christ. Then he called him Lord. That's the Christian life, friends. It's, it's growing in our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. The revelation of him becomes more and more. It's all about him. It doesn't begin with him and then go on to issues and other things. You get lost if you do that. Keep your eyes on Jesus and he'll become increasingly beautiful and more wonderful to you as time goes on. And then finally, when Christ returns, the dead in Christ will hear his voice as Lazarus did, be raised, loosed from mortality and go with him back to heaven. Hallelujah. Moving on. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Okay, so let's look at that. Again, as we've seen all the way through John, a divided response. Many believed, others went and informed the Pharisees, others were against him. So expect those, both those kinds of responses when you preach Jesus. There'll be people who will receive him, be born again. There'll be people who will not only reject it, but oppose it, become your enemies. Now the Sanhedrin feared an overwhelming wave of support for him, resulting in, in the Romans taking control of all aspects of their life, especially their temple. The leaders would lose their political power. Now that's a very important point. We see, you say, how can people who have just witnessed a man being raised from the dead after being dead for four days still not believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Because their lives were very comfortable. You see, the Sanhedrin, they ruled society. They had positions of power and control over the people. More than that, it was a very lucrative position. You know, the Bible says that the, the Pharisees loved money. They were lovers of money and they feathered their own nest. They were all sitting very comfortably. Thank you very much. That would all change if there was, if there was a commotion, if there's a lot of a big crowd following Jesus and, and hailing him as the king, then the Romans would step in and, and take authority, take over the temple, take over their position and they would lose. And, and many people do not accept Jesus because then they're afraid to give their lives over to him. They want to hang on. And, and be in control because they believe that they can work it out best for themselves. They even said they'll take away our place, meaning the temple. 
They claimed for themselves what belonged to God. That's religion, by the way. The holy things were in their eyes their special property. You know, this church is not our church. It's his church, you know. Um, uh, the things that have been entrusted to us, they're still his. We're just stewards of them, whatever it is. And he knows best. It's better in his hands. Amen. But by the time this gospel was written, because it was written about AD 90, about 60 years after all these things took place, the very things they feared came, came to pass. The Roman army came and destroyed Jerusalem and burned the temple and carried away the whole nation into captivity. It's like Jesus said, if you hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you, if you release your life to him, you, you gain it. It's just the opposite to what we, we think in the natural mind. Okay. And one of them, Caiaphas, being a high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Quite incredible. The Sadducees, and Caiaphas was one of the Sadducees, were known for their rudeness in speaking with others. So Caiaphas said, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus should be executed to save the people. Now John, when he recorded that, was careful to give credit to the office. He was a high priest, and as a high priest in the office, he was prophesying without realising that he was prophesying. He didn't honour the man because the man was, was actually uh, quite abominable. He was a crafty man, a manipulative man, an aggressive man, and uh, he would get rid of anyone that stood in his way. Uh, but he didn't honour the man, he honoured the office. He was actually prophesying. He said, it's expedient that one man should die for the nation. Let's get rid of him so that we can spare the nation. He was thinking politically, but he was speaking prophetically. A similar thing was said in Mark 15 verse 3 where, where uh, Jesus was on the cross and they said, you remember, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Remember they said that? True. Absolutely, 100% true. If he saved himself, he could not save others. He saved others by not saving himself, by going to the cross. It was one or the other. He died in their place. They didn't realise how prophetic that was. Both remarks were made in ignorance, yet had profound meaning concerning the death, his death for the nation and, and his gathering of the Gentiles. Compare what Balaam, who also prophesied uh, against his will. Remember Balaam? The prophet that was hired. And, and, and you know, he was hired to curse Israel by Balak, king of Moab. But, but as he opened his mouth, instead of cursing what came out, Blessing, blessing. God used him as a prophet. You know, God can use the most unlikely people to speak the truth. Amen. When, when I was in Singapore, um, the, the three services at um, the New Creation Church, the first one is 8.30, then 11.30 and 2.30, something like that, or 11 o'clock and 
and they encourage you to go to the 8.30, which is an early start. And it was quite a way away from where I was staying. And uh, they, they said, get there early so you can go to the, the visitor's kiosk and then they'll, they'll actually give you your own seat so that you, you've got a, a seat reserved where all the visitors sit and so on. So I had to leave quite early and so I got a taxi. And when I got in the taxi, the driver said to me, can I share a verse with you from the Bible? I said, yeah. So he shared this verse. Um, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope, which at that time was a, a word in season for me, without going into detail. I said, oh, that's fantastic. I said, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm a Buddhist. I said, you're a Buddhist and you know the Bible. He said, yeah, um, my sister's a Christian and she, she bought me a, a, uh, a T-shirt. She went somewhere and bought him a T-shirt with this verse on it. And he really liked the T-shirt. And she said, I'll only give it to you if you will memorize this verse. <laughs> so he had to memorize it <laughs> to get the T-shirt. And he quoted it to me. <laughs> How about that? God can speak through anyone, friends. God spoke through a donkey once. So we all qualify. <laughs> okay, so the greatest crime ever done in the world led to the greatest blessing ever given to the world. Caiaphas prophesied without realising the, the incredible importance of what he was saying. It's in, this man will die for the nation. It's better that he is expedient that he dies and the nation be spared, the nation be saved. And then as John says, that, that applied not only to the nation, but even to all those that God would call to himself. And from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. Okay, moving on and finishing up here. And the Passover of the Jews was near and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will come, not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. So the miracle occurred, the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead occurred when the city was filled with pilgrims because they'd come for the feast of the Passover. That's why when Jesus entered the city triumphantly, there were so many crowds flocking and, 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 and uh, welcoming him and saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Now, why were they there a week early then? Because the, the, the Passover was at the end of that week. No Israelite was, who was ceremonially defiled could keep the Passover at the regular time. So to avoid this delay, many Jews came up to Jerusalem before the Passover to be purified, to, to go through whatever ritual or ceremony or pay whatever price was, was required to be purified. So, so the, the place was filled with flocks of men that had come up to worship 
And, and they witnessed, many of them witnessed this miracle. So they were the ones that came out to welcome Jesus as the Messiah when he came in, uh, which we're going to look at next week, and, and to hail him as, as the king. But of course, at the same time, a warrant was issued for his arrest. And we know that uh, Judas worked in to, to deliver him up to the, to the authorities. But behind the edict of the council, which was to get Jesus arrested and crucified, we see the enmity of Satan. The resurrection of a power of the Son of God had brought to a head the hatred of him who had the power of death. So this is the story of redemption all the way through the Bible coming to a head, as it were. Right at the beginning, when, when, when the fall took place, God gave the first prophecy, who to? To Satan, to the serpent. And he said, the seed of the woman will, will crush the head of the serpent. And, and so the serpent will bruise his heel, which was the crucifixion. And all the way through, there's this enmity. The power of Satan who brought sin and death upon the human race, but the Savior who was coming. And of course, the, 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 the irony is this, that Satan thought that by killing Jesus, he would be done with him. But that was the very means by which salvation would come to us and redeem us and bring a multitude from around the world, every tribe and nation and tongue of people that, 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 that call upon the name of Jesus have been saved through his death, which was orchestrated by Satan himself. Okay, we're going to end it there. We'll continue next week. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your precious word. It is the word of God, and Lord, so often we need to be reminded of what you've already told us in your word. Lord, we hear you saying to us over and over again, did I not say to you? Did I not say to you? Lord, I pray that we'll have a love for your word, that we will have a, a discipline, a holy discipline of reading your word each day, feeding upon the bread of life. Lord, receiving light, upon our pathway, receiving encouragement, edification, uh, nourishment, oh God, that will help us to grow in you. Bless your people, Lord, I pray, from what we've heard today, and may it be a feast to us, in Jesus' name. Amen.